Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Piano Pod. I'm Yukimi Song. Happy May and Happy Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, everyone. I am Clara Zhang. That's right. Thank you for the reminder, Clara. As we mentioned in the previous episodes, Clara and I both became naturalized U.S. citizens in recent years, and to be able to officially say Happy Asian American Month to us is so awesome, right? And as we both are proud of what it was—a challenging yet rewarding journey—to become Asian Americans officially, and as we also honor the beautiful heritage and culture we inherited from our predecessors. Ah, that's beautifully said, Yukimi. Yes. So for this episode, we are interviewing Donna Van Friedman, Chinese American concert pianist, chamber musician, producer, and educator from New York City. I found quite a few common interest qualities between Donna and us. Not. Uh, just our heritage alone, but she's also involved in the radio program, of course, and she is an educator, and plus, she's of course a pianist, and she is a fellow New Yorker. That is right. Yeah, I love the fact that her career and interests are not limited to performing arts, and she's also a curator of interactive classical music apps for children called the Music Bee Club. I am super curious about them. Yeah, me too. Oh, so by the way, for anyone listening or watching our show for the first time, welcome. We're both classical pianists and piano teachers from New York City, and this podcast is for anyone who plays the piano for fun, loves listening to the piano music, so, or for someone who is currently pursuing a career in piano or works in the industry professionally, or anyone who is simply curious about the world of piano music. In each episode, we interview a guest speaker who has been breaking exciting new ground in the music industry. Before getting started, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please read our show and review on Apple, Audible,、uh, because、uh, podcasting platforms. Because every reading review will help people find our show. Ah,、uh, looks like our guest Donna has arrived and is waiting to be in our conversation. Oh, great! Let's get the show started. You're listening to the Piano Pod, where we talk to the brightest minds in the industry about how they are bringing the piano into the 21st century. We're so delighted to introduce our guest of season two, episode number sixteen, Donna Wang Friedman, award-winning pianist, chamber musician. Producer and educator, she created the Heritage and Harmony programs, including the video series in collaboration with WQXR and the education program Heritage and Harmony. Her art, her voice, in collaboration with the National Women's History Museum, with the aim of promoting empathy, understanding, and tolerance among people of all backgrounds. Ms. Friedman has performed in concert halls as a soloist with major symphony orchestras internationally, and as a chamber musician, collaborated with world-renowned musicians. As a recording artist, she released an EP during pandemic named Heritage and Harmony: Silver Linings, which was recently honored with two silver medals at the 2022 Global Music Awards. Ms. Friedman currently serves as a faculty member at the Manus School of Music, while conducting master classes worldwide, including at the Shanghai and Beijing Conservatories. 
She's also the creator, developer of the Music Bee Club, interactive classical music apps for children, which was produced by 19-time Grammy Award winner David Frost. So we are honored to have you, Donna. Welcome to our show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for coming to our oh, show. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Guys you. Are great. And, <laughs> oh, thank you. And Donna, we love your radio show, by the way, and oh, we're very yeah. inspired. So, you know, as we just talked about um, being a host of the radio show, we have so much actually in common, right? And we're not only fellow New Yorkers and also pianists and educators, but also I love the way that you are reaching out and to your audiences and community by way of talk show, for example. And that's very inspiring. That's exactly what we want to do through this podcasting. So, and another uh, common denominator, I guess, to say is that Claire and I just became uh, officially Asian American Americans. So before, before the pandemic, yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know we, we have so many questions and that's also that. And Clara, you also have, I mean, you are such, you know, an entrepreneur as well. And I, I we heard about this app, the, uh, I believe it's called, um, music B or yeah, the music B club app, uh, music, music B club, club is, is the, the, the general term, but it's there. The, the apps were, um, I, I created them, this is a while ago, yeah, um, okay. and the first one was the flight of the bumblebee, and the second Ooh. one was the swan. The idea was, the impetus was, uh, back in 2008, mm -hmm. um, the New York City public school system announced that they were cutting back on music classes. Wow. Um, and yeah. our, you know, the, that the whole impetus was for math and science, mm. uh, you know, and I had, you know, I have two kids who are now grown, but back then I had little kids and they were always surrounded by music. Yep. And it kind of broke my heart mm. that I thought, you know, that not all kids are going to be able to have music. Exactly. So I wanted to do something, you know, to kind of bring music to them. Mm. Um, and uh, in the beginning, you know, I started writing these stories to short famous pieces of classical music. And the idea was to, you know, bring out and, and teach children how to listen to the inherent storyline in music. Got so it. I created these stories and I was, you know, back, that was in the day, I'm so embarrassed of the cassette, right? <laughs> the cassette books. Thank right? 2008, I wow, was, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was going to, you know, make these cassette books. And mm. as one of, um, the president of Starbucks Entertainment. Starbucks at that time had an mm -hmm. entertainment group. I see. And I sent him this proposal. I showed him what I was doing and he loved it. He said, we are going to publish these. And then wow. within, within a matter of months, they folded. Mm, nice. And my husband, who is a mathematician, uh -huh. very much into the you know most... He's interested. He reads about everything technology. Right. He said, you know, don't do a cassette book. You're going to end up at the bottom of the bin at Barnes and Nobles, right? Yeah. Says, There's this new thing called the app. Uh-huh. Wow. New. So I was very interested in that, but it took me a couple of years to learn about it. Right. Um, so a few years down the road, 
um, you know, things were coming together and I invited my, my friends. I asked them, would they please, you know, record with me? So Carter Bray, the principal cellist of the New York Philharmonic, he oh, recorded oh. the swan. It's the most beautiful swan you've ever heard in your life. Oh. Liz Mann recorded um, Flight of the Bumblebee. And oh. my friend David Frost, mm-hmm. who is, by the way, I think he's either 20, up to 20 or 21 Grammys at this point. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. wow. He produced Amazing. it. And I have to say, they're were, they were just really beautiful apps. And uh, my daughter at the time was just about in high school, and she's, mm. a, she's a very good artist. So she did the animation. So these were animated. Mm. Um, and uh, I became a door-to-door salesman. I went from oh, I love that. one school to another. Right. I didn't know how else to do this. You know, We didn't really have internet like you know, we do now. I, I wasn't very savvy about any of that stuff. Well, I you're already yeah, very savvy. Yeah, I didn't even apply for grants. I mean, I paid for everything out of pocket. Oh um, so I went from school to school. I went to charter schools. And it was so worth it because just mm. seeing how these kids, mm. you know, how they lit up, how excited they were. And they said, well, how can we never hear music like this? And what was interesting to me is that I created these apps for younger kids mm. with the idea of, you know, uh, inspiring kids from ages two to six. But when I brought it into the schools, the creative writing teachers used them to teach kids how to write short little stories. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, it, was, it, was, it was an incredible experience until I ran out of money and I just couldn't fund it anymore. Oh my goodness! Uh, but I, and hopefully, I'll get back to it at some point. You know when yeah, I yeah. Now that you we have, we can use you know uh, tablets and right. all the smartphones, and it would be nice uh, because uh, because it would be nice to reach out to those students who have never heard of classical music or have never had uh, you know classical music training. Yeah. So yeah, um, but yeah. it's very inspiring because we are. Clara and I are both also small business owners, and uh, we would love to hear more stories like that from you today. So yeah, it's a true entrepreneur story. Exactly. You know, and all the investor music lovers out there, you know, this is your opportunity. Well, it's very funny because I never considered myself an entrepreneur. Right. I never all think I do is when I, I I hear about something that upsets me, <laughs> and that I you know want to you know, just sort of do something in my own small way to contribute. And then that's mm-hmm. when I, that has always been my motivation. Mm-hmm. I, I never start out thinking, oh, you know what? I'm going to do a business because I, I actually still don't feel like I have done a business. I, mm-hmm. I just create programs and projects and, and uh, you know, based on, uh, you know, of course, everything is what I love the most, which is classical music. Right, so, right. But, yeah. But now I'm able to uh, communicate more because we have the internet, we have this ability to do programs and Mm -hmm. reach out to a a broader audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And with this technology, what's amazing is that we can reach out to people who never had the access of this amazing premium sort of education, right? Because classical music could be that way or could appear that way but it's not and what you're doing is making all these wonderful things accessible to everyone you know that's that's really amazing now so we want to know where you your uh, musical journey started i was six years old and growing up with my my family in forest hills queens in a very traditional chinese family and um my pet parakeet, Greenspot, died. Yeah. 
And I was devastated. Now, he was my pet in the sense that I loved him, but my older brother, who who is my half-brother, nine years older than me, really mm-hmm. took care of Green Spot. Mm-hmm. But I was devastated. I'd never had a pet. I never had a loss like that in my life. So mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop crying. Oh. And my mother, who is very superstitious, Chinese are you know, very superstitious, she said, you have to stop crying. It's bad luck. Right. All right? <laughs> Everything is bad. Sounds like a Chinese mother. <laughs> and I tried. I tried, but I, I would just think about Green Spot and I'd burst into tears again. So, you know, this lasted a while, you know. So finally, my parents uh, decided to buy a spinet piano. And my brother, who, you know, older than me, started taking piano lessons. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't his thing, mm. you know, especially not classical music. But I love that sound and I would mm-hmm. tinkle on it. And he was playing for Elise. And then one day I just got up and played it. Oh my God. Well, my parents, <laughs> you know what? Maybe we should be giving her piano lessons. <laughs> right. I started taking lessons and within six months I was at Juilliard pre-college. And I think I was oh the youngest God. student there for a while, you know. Um, sure. Yeah, so I started Juilliard when I was seven. Wow. And uh, it was like, you know, heaven on earth for mm. me, spending all day Saturday with other kids like me who loved music. Mm. And I had the most loving piano teacher. And um, yeah, it was that, you know, I was at the old Juilliard mm. um, at Claremont Avenue, which is now Manhattan School of Music. Sure. <clears throat> then we moved to Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, my memories of Claremont Avenue, of that old building, Mm. Oh my God! And then after that, you well, after so many years of training, and you studied at Princeton. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, I I did very very well um, mm-hmm. growing up. I won every competition that I entered. I was performing everywhere, and you know, I I, um, I was the first winner of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra competition. So I was touring New Jersey with the New Jersey wow. Symphony uh, when I was fifteen, sixteen. Mm. And you were uh, studying with Adele Marcus, right? Or that was for masters. Oh, okay. That was later she on. Yeah, mm-hmm. she doesn't teach in the pre she never taught in the pre-college. But um I also skipped eighth grade, so I ended up going to college a year earlier. But wow. what I wanted to do, I mean, I, I could have gone to Juilliard. They were very, very kind. They they, you know, um when I decided to go to Princeton, they said, you can come back anytime, you know, mm. but um, I wanted to broaden my horizons. I wanted to learn more about literature, politics, history, because I thought, you know, that would make me a better artist also. Right. Uh, but I just, you know, had this, you know, thirst for, for learning mm. and, uh, and I fell in love with the Princeton campus. So I went there mm. for four years. It was probably the best decision I ever made. Mm. Um, I think, uh, for my musical career, uh, you know, I <laughs> I don't think it was the same. I, you know, my my friend Jimmy Lin, Chung the violinist, mm-hmm. he always teases me because he said, "Oh, you know, you're so lucky you went to Princeton." I said, "But when I went to Princeton, you were off performing at the White House, and you became a student <laughs> because Jimmy and I played in the same chamber music group." In I see. So you know, my trajectory, you know, became a little different from a lot of my my uh, friends and colleagues uh, who are at Julia pre-college. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I, I enjoyed every second of it and the mm. connections and the, the people I met and what I've learned, um, I, you know, I hold so dearly to my heart and, right. uh, and I'm still very, very involved at Princeton. 
That's beautiful. Yeah, I studied with uh, Go, uh, Edna Golinski, uh, you know, in her Princeton summer festival there, you know, it, it was, I, I spent just uh, two weeks there. It was so beautiful, you know, yeah. and now I have a student that I have a house there. Sometimes I go visit. Oh, really? That's it's such a refreshing place, you know. Well, then yeah. you should stop by because I have a masterclass series at Princeton now. Oh, great. And, uh, yeah, and, maybe. Uh, we have, so you know, invite all my in extraordinary colleagues and friends to give master classes to these amazing students and then do do a concert afterwards and it's all right. free to the public to the community oh wow yeah. i definitely have my students come to those yeah oh, they maybe they'll come with them yeah. i mean we we didn't do it over the pandemic mm. we started up in in the fall with jenny co and then uh omicron hit so you know the university's been very careful they yeah. have to be mm. um so hopefully of in the course. fall we'll start up again yeah then you moved on to Juilliard uh, and getting your master's and you studied with Adele Mar Marcus, the yeah. famous piano teacher. Um, re recently, we've got to interview Lowell Lieberman, who is right. composer, and then you have you know him. He's a good friend of mine, yeah. And I played <laughs> his pieces a lot. I actually gave um, uh, the New York debut and the US debut of a couple of his pieces, yeah. Wow, really? Yeah, he, yeah. so, you know, he was telling, uh, we got to talk about Adele Marcus because one of the pieces he wrote was dedicated to her. So then also we talked to Jeffrey um, Eagle. Eagle, yeah, he's, right. he was t telling me about Adele Marcus. So mm -hmm. uh, what was that impression? What, what's, what sort of legacy you carry about her? Uh, well, because... Adele Marcus, um, I have to say that our lessons were pretty extraordinary. My lesson was yep. Monday evening. I was the last one uh, of the day. And it would always start out with my playing for her and her teaching me. And, you know, she would, you know, demonstrate, you know, how, you know, many things. And, and I learned so much from her. But what I learned the most uh, from was after I played, mm -hmm. because then she would play for me for about an hour or two. And, you know, Adele, she, I think, is was one of the greatest pianists that ever lived, except for mm. she had such stage fright, she couldn't perform. Mm. I mean, there's that famous story that she vomited on the uh, keyboards right before the Schumann Concerto. Uh, <laughs> wow. And she said, it was, and she said, you know, that she was sick, but you know, mm. I think she had a lot of anxiety about performance. And it's sad because, you know, the world did not get to hear right. this extraordinary artist because her sound, nobody, you know, could yeah. make a sound on the piano the way she did. And I think a lot of her students, you know, uh, have, oh, know. you know, that's something very important to us that she, you know, even just from her playing that we, we that's what we want to hear. And so that's what we produce. Mm. Um, so that was, uh, you know, pretty extraordinary. And of mm. course, you know, all her students, you know, we're all pretty, back then we we're very close and we still keep in yep. touch. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it was a it's a very special group of of, of pianists and um, yeah, I know quite a few of her students. Um, I have a Jewish mother here. <laughs> she semi adopted me, but in ballet school, you know. But she, uh, Alana Friedman, you know, she became a psychologist eventually. Also, you know, she came from Europe and to and lived in Forest Hill and went to study with Aldou. And yet, you know, I had her like perform a couple of concerts, the salon concerts, and sometimes I host a little concerts. And I feel like after 50 years, you know, she hasn't really practiced yet. The sound is still there. You know, it's just like, um, and then a couple of her friends came to visit, you know, during these concerts and I heard them play. And some of them still play, some of them don't, but it's just, 
it's amazing to me after all these years and you know all they say about Adele it's just I don't know it's just like I feel like oh my god I feel like I'm living in that movement 50 years ago <laughs> wow and then you went on to Europe to study with Nadia Blanchet is that right or yeah and Fontainebleau in fact we just did a concert at Merton Hall uh, celebrating the centennial oh um, anniversary and uh, that was a very special, special time. You know, she was already quite ill. It was when I studied with her, it was her last summer on earth and she mm-hmm. died the following year. Um, but boy, that <laughs> what an experience. Uh, first of all, um, my first lesson with her, uh, I went into her, I was invited to, into her apartment mm-hmm. and she, her, her assistant came out and said, Mademoiselle Boulanger is not feeling well today. And I was thinking, oh, thank God, I'm so nervous that I could get to, I get to go back, you know. And she goes, but she would like to hear you play. Right. Um, she will be in her bedroom listening, and you will be in the living room playing. And I had never had yeah. an experience. That, that was, that was nerve-wracking, mm. you know. Yeah. So I sat down and started playing, and she was in the other room. And after, I, I, I played the Bach Chromatic Fencing Fugue. And after a few seconds, I hear this very frail voice, you know, very frail mm. voice, like, shout out to me something in French. Mm. And I didn't know, what, what do I do? Do I stop? Do I keep playing? I, I just didn't know what to do. I kept playing, and then I hear this frail voice again, you know, straining to communicate to me. So I stopped, mm. and there was silence. Mm. So I kept playing. It, it was so nerve-wracking. Mm. Um, at the end of my performance of playing that piece, um, the nurse's aide came out and said, you know, uh, Mademoiselle thanks you very much for coming today and playing for her, but she's not feeling well, so maybe mm-hmm. come back another time. And then all of a sudden, that same frail voice starts speaking in French to the attendant. And the attendant says, uh, I'm sorry, could you just wait one, one moment? Mademoiselle wants to see you. So she goes back in, and it seems like an eternity later, but she mm-hmm. wheels uh, Mademoiselle Boulanger out. And then she takes my hands and then she starts talking to me. Mm-hmm. And she talks about color and phrasing. And, mm-hmm. and then she says to me, you know, she just held my hands and she said, I have the hands of Rubenstein. I don't oh. know. Which, no, I doubt. I have very small hands. But anyway, but then she said to me, and my French wasn't very good. And I tried, I understood her for the most part, mm-hmm. but my speaking was not, you know, fluent. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she said to me, toi morceau which in French means three things, uh, three little things. And uh, so I thought, you know, oh, okay. So she's telling me to remember those three things. She talked about color, phrasing, um, and uh, uh, I forget what the other one, but anyway, so I, I remembered that trois or so, and I left and I, you know, I felt really good. And then she, I, the next day I received this little uh, invitation, handwritten note inviting me to have dinner with her. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Right. Um, and then at the last minute, she, her, her, I got another message canceling because she wasn't feeling well. Mm. But it wasn't until years later when I was talking to a friend and reminiscing about this time in Fontainebleau mm. and about my experience and about Trois Morceaux, mm. when my friend said to me, Trois Morceaux is the name of three pieces that her sister Lily Boulanger wrote. She was telling you to learn them. Wow. And then I said, oh my gosh. So at that time, we didn't have the internet. I couldn't find it. It was hard. G. Shermers didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but I eventually did find it and I recorded it for um, uh, my uh, WQXR program, Her Music, Her Story. Oh my gosh. And I shared the story because we did a, you know, my, my uh, co-creator and co-host, Alison Charney, we did one of the episodes was called The Three Bs. Mm-hmm. We reimagined the three Bs for women. Mm-hmm. And of course, wow. one of them was Lily and Nadia Boulanger. So. Mm-hmm. I see. Wow. wow. So oh. you have all this amazing uh, training and lessons from, you know, uh, these famous people now. So now I want to focus more on your career as a pianist first. And so can you tell us uh, maybe earlier years where you were touring internationally more yeah. often and you uh i i think i heard a little bit of a story from one of the uh, video clips i watched but uh, maybe if you could share some of the memorable moments or anecdotes yeah well uh i yeah i did tour quite a bit when i was younger mm-hmm. um probably the most emotional uh tour was when I went back to China with my mm. with my parents mm. and I performed with the Shanghai Symphony and oh I gave solo recitals mm. but it was so emotional because I went back to my my mother's hometown mm. I went back to my father's hometown um, and I think you know when you're growing up and you hear them tell their stories yeah and you're a kid or a teenager, you kind of like, yeah, right. There they go again, right? But when you actually go back and you meet their family and you see, you know, where they grew up, my mom uh, grew up in a very wealthy family. Mm. And when, you know, she fled China, my parents both left their hometowns during the Japanese occupation. And then the Cultural Revolution came and um, her, her, her father, my grandfather was imprisoned. Mm. And the house that she grew up uh, was given to 36 families. Right. Wow. And that's what I saw. Mm -hmm. Wow. And also with my father, when he was imprisoned uh, during the Japanese occupation for starting an underground Chinese school, um, the only reason why he was let go was because uh, the prison guard, one of the prison guards was Japanese, was married to a Chinese woman and their son was my father's student. Oh my God. So the guard came in the middle of the night and set him free. Mm. but said you can't come back and that's when my father came to this country mm. but you know his school later much later uh you know really became one of the top schools there and mm. so visiting that school i will tell you uh was an experience i'll never forget because when i mm. when i walked into the elementary yeah. school mm. on the walls was a mural of my father's story oh my mm. gosh i want to know about heritage and harmony because to me, I really love the combination of heritage and harmony, those were two words together. So as a pianist, we're not just facing the instrument or score and moving our fingers, but it's more than that, right? Especially as the time goes on, we ask ourselves about the identity, how you are relating to the music, in front of you and so I I am still finding my way too 
and now that I'm American, but also I am that, let's say, product or decent of Japanese occupation in Korea too. So my grandparents moved and we had such a hard time in Japan, all the discrimination we had to deal with. And, you know, the war is just an awful thing always. Mm. Yeah, because usually people are on both sides are innocent, right? But of course. yeah, but somehow just war happens and the aftermath mass is it's just chaos and it takes so many generations to get over that or we'll never yeah we don't know but so think of heritage and harmony i really love the combination so can you tell us more about heritage and harmony i know you you have different projects according to heritage and harmony but just in general what's your idea what's what where where did you come up about with this heritage and harmony and combination well what happened was um, right in the very beginning uh, when the coronavirus word about that started spreading from Wuhan, China. Mm. Um, I was, it was a wonderful, beautiful, you know, March afternoon, 1 p.m., middle of the day. I was yep. walking my dog in Central Park uh, when a very large man um, comes running, rushing mm. towards me and start screaming in my Oh my gosh. Every anti-Asian slur he could think of. I mean, it was just awful. And then he said, and he screamed, go back to China or get what you deserve. And he was so close to me, and I'm very petite, I'm four foot one, and he was huge. Uh, I thought he was gonna hurt me or push me or something, but luckily people were walking around. Sure. and uh, he ran off into the park and I ran back home with my dog and I literally did not leave my apartment for seven months after that. Yeah. This is before, you know, the sheltering, you know, at home started. This is like January of 2020? This was was early March. Oh, early March. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that. Right. So, you know, my husband said, you really have to go outside. So he got me pepper spray. I said, I can't use pepper spray. That can be used against me, right? And then my husband said, well, why don't you just walk with me? Hmm. And, you know, if I were thinking rationally at that time, I would have said, yeah, that makes sense. But the truth is, is that I didn't want to be seen because Hmm. I didn't want to be blamed. I realized that people who didn't know who we were, who we Hmm. are as Asians, Asian Americans, they blamed everybody who right. looked like us yeah. for the virus. And so I stayed home and I listened to a lot of music and I did a lot of thinking. And it's interesting that that horrible incident actually uh, made me more aware mm. of my Chinese heritage and my Chinese identity. Mm. It got me so much closer and I was thinking about my parents and what they gave up to come to this country yeah. give me, you know, mm. my life filled with opportunity. Yeah. And I started reading and watching TED Talks and I came mm. across this amazing TED Talk by author Chimamanda um, uh, Adichie. Um, mm-hmm. He said that, you know, the problem with, you know, 
the single story is that it's one-sided. And that creates bias and it creates prejudice. Mm -hmm. She said that we need to all share stories so that we don't have that uh, racism. And that's when it it hit me. I said, you know what? I want to do something through my music and share the stories of Asian American classical musicians so that maybe people will get to know who we are. Yeah. Right? So uh, and that's how I created uh, the first Heritage and Harmony virtual concert um, series with WQXR, um, you know, sharing the stories and the music of leading classical music musicians of Asian descent. Mm. Um, and that was, so that was the, the first thing that I, I, I uh, created right. uh, on, for that. And then, you know, it was a long two years, right? A lot yeah. happened during those two years. Yes. And um, so I started thinking so much about how lucky I was, as you know, to have had great teachers and great role models. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking how so many children are not as lucky and they don't have role models. How are they going to know that they can be a great clarinetist mm-hmm. if they never hear, you know, Anthony McGill? How are they going to know that they can be anything they want to be if they don't have the opportunity Mm. to hear somebody who looks like them, especially for girls. Mm. And that's when I created um, Heritage and Harmony, her art, her voice, in Mm. collaboration with the National Women's History Museum. Mm. And this is basically a program of role models of outstanding women, Mm. uh, trailblazers in all of the arts, not just classical music. So Misty Copeland, prima ballerina, her story Mm. is remarkable. Yes. You know, so it's it's from fashion design to um, Broadway stars, the star, uh, uh, Crystal Joy Brown, she is the the lead in Hamilton on Broadway now. Mm. All these extraordinary women Mm. uh, were so excited to do this because Mm. they wanted, you know, they believed in the same, you know, vision that I had. And... uh, yeah. And then you have this Heritage and Harmony live in concert, which is come today is May 11th. So it's coming up in a few days. And unfortunately, by the time we air this um, episode, it's over. But uh, it takes place at Tenry Institute yes. uh, this weekend. So can you tell us a little bit more? Because it sounds very interesting. It's not you're you are part of the concert, but it's not just a musical concert. Sounds like you have the storytelling to uh, dance as well, so. Yeah, so this is my celebration, my party. And it really takes a little bit from each of my programs, including my EP, uh, Pandemic EP, uh, Heritage and Harmony Silver Linings. Mm -hmm. And what it celebrates is bringing people together through stories, music, and dance. And I'm, you know, very, very grateful to the artists who are featured mm-hmm. on Sunday. They are extraordinary. Um, soprano Marsha Thompson, cellist Sube, who was featured in the original WQXR Heritage and Harmony. And what she's going to bring on Sunday is jaw-dropping because she created um, an arrangement of Arirang, the Korean oh, folk All right. Song. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. for 12 cellos and she performs all of it 
It's wow. just, and it's she's going to do it on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, and also the extraordinary dancer Hannah Ginsberg Tarash mm-hmm. will dance two world premieres choreographed by Ariel Grossman. Uh, the first one is uh, to the music of my dear friend Stefania de Kennessy, who wrote an album called My. Microvids during the pandemic, and so three of the the excerpts from that album, mm-hmm. um, Hannah is going to dance to, and then the second dance is to one of, well, this is a very emotional for me because it is a dance called Never Fade Away, and it is part of my father's story, and um, yeah, so it is going to be a wonderful celebration, mm-hmm. and three of the composers that. Uh, whose music I'll be performing will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim Sherman, Stefania DeKennessy, and Beata mm-hmm. Moon. Mm-hmm. Inri Ung is in California, mm. so he's not able to come. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to, to Sunday's program. Wow, wonderful. And can you, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about your father's story? I know uh, both of your parents are the ones who immigrated to the United States first, before you were born, right? Yes, and separately, yeah. they met here. I see, um, okay. But can you tell us about your father's story a little bit? Yeah, so my father grew up, was born and raised in Ningpo, which is a, you know, a seaport, you know, uh, south of Ningpo, okay, got it, Ningpo, yep. He was the oldest of 13 children. Oh, wow. Only five survived childhood. When he was born, his parents, his, family, his parents were so poor. They didn't have a hospital or a midwife. Mm. He he was born um, with the umbilical cord tied around his neck, a blue baby, but they didn't know what that was. So they threw him in the garbage can. Oh my gosh! That's how they did it back then. <sighs> but luckily, you know, in the middle of the night, he started screaming. He cried, and they got him out. And he showed them from the that day that he yeah. was born that he was a fighter. But um, you know, he's and he's he's amazing. So, there, you know, he grew up so poor. You know, he he had to make shoes, cardboard shoes, and he had to walk miles to go to school. But he wanted to learn so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, he never had any toys, so he carved a, out of wood a yo-yo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the only thing he had as a toy growing up. So he became so good at it, he became the national champ. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I've heard of a yo yo things when you get good at something, but he was a brilliant right. man. Um, when he was in his school, it was the first time that he heard a piano. Mm. A music teacher played something on uh, this, you know, rinky dink little upright piano, and it was to him the most glorious music he'd ever heard so he walked home and he walked home back and forth it took two hours mm. you know he walked home and he got another piece of wood i guess he was doing a lot of woodworking <laughs> he out what he remembered the keyboard to look like mm. and he would close his eyes and pretend to play the incredible thing is is that my father never had any training in music Mm-hmm. He had perfect pitch. He didn't know it until I started taking lessons. Mm-hmm. And he could mm-hmm. play basically anything that he heard on the piano. Yeah. And my dad has perfect pitch too. And he's still not trained. So he sings, you know. It's, uh... And he can play any instrument. Mm-hmm. Violin, flute, clarinet, 
he can just do it. Mm. You know, just an incredible, incredible man. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really, you made me really emotional here. <laughs> and but, so then to me, that heritage and harmony means so much that combination because heritage you inherited from your ancestors, especially from your parents and how they gave up so much to bring you such a opportunities and and plus you also embrace your heritage right so that's where to me harmony comes in not just to harmonize with your audience but harmonize with yourself come yes. to terms with because as a classical musician we have this such high anticipation or expectations about our career right and we forget who we are. It's all about achieving, uh, going to this school, learning, studying with this teacher, giving concerts at this concert halls and this international fame and everything. But in the end, it's really carrying yourself all these, um, um, you know, past from the past and present and the future itself and just bring it together and present yourself on the concert stage. I think that's all what it's all about. But I think with that uh, words, heritage and harmony, it, it repre represents that. And that's really amazing. And what you described just now really brings me to tears almost. Well, I'm you know, to hold myself <laughs> on Sunday's concert, each of the artists uh, we'll share their stories, you know, mm. a little bit about them. And the dance never fade away is part is really another part of the story. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to share that. That's my father's story that mm -hmm. uh, absolutely really gets to me. <laughs> but uh, when I was 12 or 13, mm. I was learning the Chopin waltz in C sharp minor. And uh, it was a beautiful summer evening mm. at 6pm. My mom was in the kitchen making dinner. I was playing this Chopin waltz when my father came home from work. Mm. And he came home and he stood there listening for a few seconds. Then he races into the kitchen and out from the kitchen, my parents come out waltzing and dancing mm. and dancing. And I was playing this waltz and the room was filled with joy and love and I didn't want it to end. Uh, but I finished playing the waltz and my dad looked at me mm. with tears in his eyes. I mm. get so emotional. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Take your time. And he told me his story that when he first came to this country, he had nothing. Mm. And he got a job, a very a lousy job, long hours, very little pay. Mm. Um, and he found a little dark room in the basement where he'd come home at night and sleep. Mm. Every day he had one meal, and that was peanut butter and rice. That's all he can afford. Mm. And soon he got very depressed. Mm. He had no friends and no family. Mm. But after several months of saving his pennies, he bought himself a very special gift, a radio. Mm. And that changed his life mm. because every night he'd come home and enter a world of glorious music. Wow. And one of the first pieces he heard was that waltz. Mm. And he told me when he came home that day, 
and he heard his daughter playing that waltz. He knew that all his hopes and dreams had come true. Wow. And that's what, you know, we will perform Sunday, mm -hmm. the dance, with the wonderful dancers, Hannah ginsburg Tarash mm -hmm. and um, Jesse Oblemski. Mm -hmm. They will, they will uh, reenact my parents. Yeah. Well, I'm coming to the concert. <laughs> yeah, I hope we can. I hope yeah, you can. I, I am I too. Harry. Thank you so much for sharing such mm. a personal story. It means mm. so much to us. And um, yeah, so music is really all about that, right? Uh, how uh, you are in touch with yourself and bring that to the audience. So now I want to kind of shift gears more toward uh, you as an educator. And so. I know you are a teacher at the Manus School of Music right now, yes. currently, and also you give lectures and master classes at Princeton as well. Correct? I have a master class series uh, which I curate at Princeton, mm. and I invite all these, you know, world class musicians to come and give master classes to the students. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then so, first question would be. What do you see in students these days in this new generation with all the tech gears? What do you see in students? Well, I teach in the uh, preparatory division, the prep division at Manus. Mm -hmm. So I teach um, the younger kids, the younger one uh, through high school, mm -hmm. and you know Manus is is a very special community. I love teaching there. I've been teaching there since 1989. Oh, it's like a family. You must know my teacher, Hugo Goldenschweig. <laughs> he lives across the street from me. Of course, yeah. I, I think that the faculty is extraordinary, mm -hmm. and the families who come there are just wonderful. You know, it's it's uh, it kind of reminds me of when I was up at Juilliard in the pre pre college at Claremont Avenue. That kind of feel, you know. Uh, so my students are amazing because they they understand what it is that I'm trying to teach I'm not trying to make them into automatons and robots mm -hmm. and with the best incredible you know the fastest passages in the world yeah. I, I teach them what I did as a kid mm -hmm. and what I continue to do because mm -hmm. I tell stories through music and I ask my students to tell me the story that they're trying to tell me through their music Especially the little ones, they start from when they're very young. I said, what does this piece, what, what is the story you want to tell me? Mm. And, uh, and they love that and, and it come, you know, it definitely shows in their playing. Mm. Um, so it, it's very gratifying and I, and, I, uh, and I really enjoy. Wonderful. Your students are very fortunate to have you as a teacher. I wish I had a teacher like you when I was growing up. But um, so then you know, we've interviewed so many different artists and some would say, oh, you know, piano, music education, piano education has changed since my time. And or uh, it used to be more you were able to just focus on music and, you know, especially at the conservatory level where you can just focus on devote yourself into practice. And you can also, you know, while studying, you can give concerts, you know, somewhere else. But these days, you're required to learn this literature and this the other um, subjects, although you are at the conservatory. What do you think of that? What do you think of being a musician or pianist of this new 
generation or 21st century for that matter? Oh, I think it's very exciting. To me, as long as you keep learning and have an open mind, mm. I think education is not limited to schools. Education is life. Mm. And you can go to the top schools and come out not really knowing what you need to know in life. Mm. Uh, I think these days, there's so much opportunity in every kind of school, uh, even online education. And it is really what you make of it Mm. and how... um, how open-minded you are. I think, I think to me that is the most important thing mm-hmm. is that you don't learn because you have to or you feel like you need to achieve this in order to get to that. You know what I mean? The, these, these are not the goals that I, you know, uh, have ever aspired to, to, to do. I mean, it's always been something, you know, of a, a, a bigger picture, a bigger out, you know, a broader outlook. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I kind of like to uh, uh, encourage and support my students into thinking a little bit out of the box. Going to school, of course, is wonderful. Education is important. Technology is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being true to yourself and being open-minded mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I think those things are, are as valuable you know, part of education is anything else. As an educator, we also want to bring them more pieces written by different composers, not just our regular go-to composers. So, and especially contemporary living composers, female or, uh, you know, composers of colors, for example, that would be really exciting, right? So then um, I know you um, have this pieces by Kim Sherman, uh, Unfathomable Things. It's a 15 yeah. pieces for solo piano for uh, your students. I think you asked her to compose for your students. Can you tell well, us? Yeah, they, so there, uh, there are four, out of the 15, there were four pieces um, that were commissioned with the idea mm-hmm. of having Kim work with two of my students, two, mm-hmm. two girls who were in high school at the time, mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted them uh, first of all, to have that experience. Um, I think that new music has been kind of given like a bad rap. And I yeah. think uh, people think it's just this, you know, outrageously weird music. You know, people just shy away from it because mm. they think it's going to be without melody, without harmony. And that's just so far from the truth. Mm. And then I also started thinking that for, you know, the younger kids, there really isn't a lot of new music there. There's a gap there. So I talked to Kim about this. She thought this would be a great idea. So um, the four pieces uh, called, you know, part of the section is called Four Moods, were commissioned by two of my families uh, for two of my students. And Kim would come into the lessons and talk about the music that they wanted to create together. Uh, she would She wanted to learn about them, what they enjoyed, what their thoughts were, what kind of music they wanted to play. And that's how those four pieces came to be. And then it became part of the rest of the album, Unfathomable Things, which you know I recorded. And uh, I'll be performing uh, one set of this uh, uh, folio on Sunday, The Quiet Poems, which was featured with a video that we created that, you know, uh, on I Care If You Listen. 
I just feel like you have such a way of bringing classical music to you know this contemporary world that we live in. How do you like you know we're, we're as a I guess as educators, how do you think we should keep this tradition going? Like, what do we need to do? And also, just for the younger generation of、uh, you know musicians, teachers, even students, what do you think we should、uh, keep on doing to 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 keep this tradition?、Um, you know, as I said, I follow my heart, and、mm-hmm. and、uh, I I'm I I just love classical music. I love music. From every age, every era,、um, and I've always, ever since I started playing the piano, really、uh, at Juilliard, I've always played and performed pieces that most people did not play, not in the regular repertoire. I have my my teachers to thank for that. Right. I think that's how you learn, and I've always wondered, you know. The, Piano repertoire is so huge. Why are we listening to the same pieces at every concert,、mm. you know, over and over again? The same pieces. Of course, I love the standard repertoire. Sure. But you know, I think it's important to you know to to introduce our students, you know, at a young age to to composers who are you know not perhaps played you know on a regular basis, but should you know,、mm. for instance, like Cecile Chaminade. The Chaminade's music, the piano pieces are just charming. Yeah,、She's、beautiful, beautiful. But nobody heard of her.、Mm. They don't know her story, and that's that's one of the reasons why we we created her music and stories to share the music and stories of of overlooked women composers. You know,、um, everybody naturally goes to、uh, Clara Schumann for you know as as the female representative, and her music is great. And I'm really happy that people. You know, celebrate her music. It's、mm. wonderful, but there's just so much more.、Right. You know, and if the teachers take the time、mm. to look for repertoire,、mm. you know,、uh, by underrepresented composers, they will find a wealth out there. Right.、And、this also, you know, becomes you become a role model. So you know, your students do that for their students, and、mm. and and that's how things grow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, the I. I got my name. I mean, I officially changed my name on my passport, the Clara. You know, it was <laughs> when I first came to this country when I was seventeen by myself, and I came here to perform. Met a Chinese teacher, and she gave offer me a scholarship. And then I moved to Kansas, and I didn't speak English. So, and、uh, we couldn't even figure out if people were calling our names. My best friend and I, and so she was like suggesting to me and my friend, why don't you each、uh, choose a name? So I became Clara from Clara Schumann. She became Nadia from Nadia. Longje,、yep. and、uh, you know we've been.、Um, and I, I do think that we still carry this、uh, heritage, you know, from like that's passed down to us, and because of our teacher gave this like, and we were, you know, she she got her master, I mean, doctorate from in in Arizona, and I I really do feel like sometimes even just that tiny bit, and you become so curious, and you. So、mm. yeah, yeah. educators, right? And then、um, I didn't get to talk about about this, but you have this. Radio show of her music, her story on、mm. WQXR, and I got to listen to a few episodes of it.、Um, and you feature one composer. I got to listen to Clara Schumann and Chaminade also, and it's really nice、uh, how you're introducing their music to the audience. Can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Well, um, you know, we had the, it's a mini, it was a mini series in 2019 before the um, oh, you know, I see. pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, so the four episodes, the one was The Extraordinary Life of Clara Schumann. The second one was Three Bs, which is our, you know, reimagining Three Bs. Then the Cecile Chaminade, uh, her story. And then the fourth one was Women of Today. And that features uh, Jennifer Higdon and, um, you know, some wonderful contemporary uh, female composers and the idea is to share their stories as well as their music right. so um, you know so that's that's something that uh, I think is important again storytelling to me uh, is very important yes. in, in creating a human connection mm. especially with new music mm. I've seen you know we want to get rid of that that barrier yeah. you know, that fear of new music and the best way to do it is by sharing stories you know, to let them know right. uh, about, you know, we're all people right. and, 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 and composers today, you know, could be the, the Beethoven's of tomorrow. Oh, you know, for sure. Beethoven's music, you know, wasn't always, you know, cheered when it first came out, mm -hmm. right? right. Eroica, when it first came out, Berlioz said it was, you know, whimsical, right? right. Um, uh, I, I think it was Verdi's uh, La Traviata, Mm -hmm. uh, was booed because there was another previous La Traviata, which no one hears anymore, but mm. people are, what they're used to is what they want. Sure. Something new they don't like. So mm. I just, I just, you know, I, I want the, the audiences to, to understand that new music, you know, all music was new once. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you are also a board member on Channel 13, right? And that's, also helps educate their, you know, the broader audience, I feel like. Is that a program they also have the same programs that you produced from other, are they collaboration or? No, so so I'm on the Friends Advocacy Board. So we help, so for instance, uh, when uh, in 2020, uh, I don't know if you saw PBS's documentary, you know, uh, Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. Mm, I heard of it. I don't have TV, unfortunately, anymore. But it's incredible. So mm. when that when that came out, uh, I helped uh, with the other members, um, the, the executive director of the board. We created uh, a website to share the stories of Asian Americans in the New York, New Jersey area, and um, to go with that. Mm. And uh, yeah, and so and they, I also uh, shared my story, and they actually. Mm. It's very funny because they use a snippet of this, my interview, the story that I shared mm -hmm. um, on PBS on uh, on quite a few occasions. So I would, you know, get people, you know, calling me or saying, "Oh, you, I just saw you on on PBS." <laughs> you know, it's like for a while they were doing it like every two weeks mm. or a year, okay. something like that. But um, wow. yeah, so we do things like that. We mm. we try to support mm. uh, you know, communities. Yeah. You're such a, a storyteller. I mean, you made me teary, almost cried mm -hmm. during the show today. And um, so, such a wonderful story you shared and uh, appreciate that. Now, I know this is just a little uncomfortable maybe to talk about, but maybe important announcement to all the musicians and especially uh, uprising young musicians. So you had a uh, unfortunate uh, injury on your wrist. <laughs> so can you tell us about that? Well, it's not not actually my wrist. It was my elbow. Mm. Okay. 
wow. nerve on my elbow. So I for I'm still wearing this. Here's my elbow brace. I wore yeah. this for two weeks straight, and then now I wear this at night uh, when I go to sleep. So what happened was at the end of March, um, I felt a searing pain in my elbow, searing, mm-hmm. like nothing I've ever ever felt. Um, have you ever hit your funny bone there? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like that, but never stop it. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. And then the scariest thing happened. I lost the feeling in three of my fingers. Oh my God. Oh. This oh. was at the end of March, and I had all these concerts in May, and I canceled a couple of events in April, and I was, I was really quite freaking out. Mm. I had MRIs done, everything I went to see, a hand surgeon, a neurologist, and they all said, yes, this is from the nerve in the elbow. Mm. It leads, it's the ulnar nerve, and it leads directly to the three fingers. And if you don't catch it quickly enough, you could learn a lot of muscle. You could lose a lot of muscle and nerve damage. So I immediately started doing uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, nonstop wearing braces and stuff like that. I have my two pound weight here. I have my finger strengthening yep. exercises, my uh, squeezy things. Mm-hmm. So I do all of this. Uh, I go to therapy four times a week and I do this seven times a day. Oh my God. And uh, because I was not going to, you know, lose the ability to play. Sure. And thankfully, you know, on uh, May 2nd, it was my first concert since the injury and uh, you know i'm fine everything is fine but this is the important news i didn't fall mm. the injury came from two years of the pandemic being in front of my laptop leaning on my elbow <gasps> Just oh the- my goodness and my doctor told me that he has treated so many people or similar things and carpal tunnel, which is why I'm wearing the wrist thing when I'm near the computer because I want to make sure I give it support. And I, and I also have a cushion now that I leave lean my my arm on and not the elbow. So this is my cautionary tale, mm. and not just pianists to everybody. Yeah, not sit there leaning on your elbow because this nerve is so fragile. Wow. That is, oh my God. I, I thought it was coming from piano. You know, I thought maybe. I've never injured myself a day in my life from piano, probably because I don't practice that much. <laughs> but this is all from being, because I, I spent so much time during the pandemic doing all my programs. Everything is, you know, writing, writing. I write more than I practice. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the cautionary tale. Oh my gosh. Well, that's actually a perfect spot for us for, to ask our traditional question, the last question of our show. What is your advice for young musicians or upcoming, you know, or it's even teachers or, you know, musicians that are teaching, living, working a lot <laughs> too much sometimes? Yeah. Well, I think having a balance in life is really important. I think just because we're musicians, we need to be outside in the sunlight, we need to be healthy, and we need to experience life. That's that's what I think is the most important thing. If you're a composer, you need to know literature, read, experience life. If you're a performer, you need to know about people. You need to understand, you know, uh, human connections, because that's what music is about, is making human connections, Mm -hmm. you know? So the more you're exposed to art, literature, 
uh, I think that's that's part of an education process that um, I think a lot of people who think, oh, you just go to conservative brain play. Mm -hmm. That's not going to make you a great musician. You'll be a very good, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at your instrument, or you could also, if you overdo it, if you don't do it correctly, you can have injuries, right? You know, and that's something you yes. really want to, you know, stay away from. Mm. So I think having a real a balance in life, balance. you know, and, and uh, of course, I always tell, you know, my students that, you know, if you want to follow a path in music, mm. you really have to not be able to live without it. Mm because it's hard it know? is yes you know? absolutely i can't imagine my life without music that's just right. the way it is i just mm. can't mm. it wasn't always that way i quit many many times in between mm. i was an agent booking rock bands i sold real estate i questioned myself a lot and i think questioning yourself is good mm. i think a lot of the questioning came from the fact that i performed so much as a kid mm. that i needed to find out for myself yes what i wanted yep. right I needed to create my own path. Mm. Don't do anything just because people say you should. Mm. It, but you have to come to it on your own. And it mm. has to be something so genuine. Mm. Um, and then and, and just go for it. Wow. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you uh, for all the wonderful conversation. Now, before we go, so... I know in May, on May 26th at Green Space at WQXR, you have, you're having this wonderful concert to celebrate Asian Pacific American Month. I, well, what I know about it is that I'll be uh, one of the featured guests. It's, it should be a wonderful celebration, oh. a wonderful, wonderful celebration. And uh, I really am looking forward to it. Great. And it will be live streamed. Oh, live streamed also. Great. So all the information will be, um, you know, uh, posted in a description section. So you can, uh, for those who are watching, listening, can just click and then get some, uh, get the information. Oh. Now let's move on to our fun segment of piano, uh, t uh, the TPP rapid fire questions. Uh oh. So Donna, we would love for you to answer them in the shortest answers as possible. I know it's tempting to go longer to explain, yeah. but you don't have to explain. Just we don't judge you. She'll give us the shortest answers possible. All right. I'm going to go first. Um, yep. Go ahead. What is your comfort food? I would have to say dumplings. Ooh, <laughs> yum. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Well, we have a dog. Oh. <laughs> what is your word or words to live by? Follow your heart. What is the most important quality you look for in other people? Kindness. Mm -hmm. What is the worst quality in people you want to stay away from? Um, hmm, that's tough. Uh, it's tough. Envy, mm -hmm. anger, you know, mm -hmm. racism. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. Name three people who inspire you, living or dead. Uh, the great pianist Radulupu, who just recently passed yes. away. I'm going to ask, yes. Uh, my first piano teacher. Uh, at the Juilliard School, uh, Mrs. Jean Rose, 
mm. and my parents. Oh, wonderful. Name one piece in your current playlist. Only one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, just one pops okay. into your head. <laughs> okay. Space Between the Fish and the Moon by Chinuriyam. Mm, beautiful. Check it out. Yes. Name one book title in your library. <laughs> Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh, great, great. You get only one song or piece to listen for the rest of your life. What is it? Well, it's Bach. It's definitely Bach. Yeah. Uh, which Bach? I don't know. It's just, uh, Mark is a good enough. Yes. And last question, last not least, music is fill in the blank. What is music? Life. Music is wonderful. Ding, 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 ding. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) You're done. You won. You're the winner. Great. Thank you, Donna, for a wonderful conversation today. And I really really appreciate you for being here and sharing your uh, stories and insights and expertise. And you you can, uh, for audience, you can find more information about Donna on her social media accounts. And we want to encourage our audience to listen to her EP, Heritage and Harmony Silver Linings, available on music streaming services, as well as her radio show, her music, her story on WQX. If you're in the New York City metropolitan area, Donna is performing on May 26th at Green Space at WQXR, Asian Pacific American Month to celebrate, and which is open to public. And it will be live streamed. All the links are listed in the description. Thank you to our wonderful audience and fans for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please read and review on whatever pl- podcasting platform you use. If you are watching us on YouTube, remember to hit the thumbs up button and be sure to subscribe to our channel. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. The links are in the dis- description below. We will see you next episode of the Piano Pod. Bye bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you, you, Donna. Thank Thank you so so much much for having me. Thank you so much.